I just want to remind um, everyone of tonight, um, five o'clock, a meal will be served. And uh, following that, a uh, special time of worship. We'll have Dr. Fielding Pole back with us. And um, just want to invite all of you to be a part of this uh, special evening, this special time of celebration um, as a body of believers, 116 years um, indeed. Um, pray with me. Um, Lord Christ, for today we come. We come into your presence reflecting and giving thanks for how you have blessed Winstanley Baptist Church, your church, a church that is built on the foundation laid through the teaching of the apostles and the word of the prophets. Christ, we come because of you. We come because of what you have done in and for our lives. We come to worship and to grow and to be changed for your glory. Today, Holy Spirit, move in our midst. Bring to our hearts healing and refreshment and joy. All for your glory, God, we pray in the name of our King Jesus. Amen. The 2019 World Happiness Report. I mean, I honestly didn't know we even had a World Happiness Report, but in 2019, the World Happiness Report found that the number of individuals who reported succumbing to negative feelings increased significantly between the years of 2010 to 2018. The report's findings painted an especially bleak picture concerning the sense of happiness in America. Its research showed that American adults had grown less and less happy while adolescents were exhibiting more signs of depression, more forms of self-harm. The researchers, however, could not explain their findings. They couldn't explain the why of it. They suggested it might come from income inequality or greater political polarization or a growing problem with addictions from screens to work to drugs to sex and so on. Mind you, the research that I cite took place prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm sure that the numbers probably have only worsened. So why such joylessness and how do we recover from it? The voices of secular postmodernism will tell you to unlock your inner self. Do whatever it is that feels right to you. That's the message of the world, but it's not the message of the church. At least it should not be. The Apostle Paul relays the following in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 22. 
Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We know that Paul is addressing this message not to individuals, but to a congregation just like ours, because all of the verbs he uses are plural in the original language. Paul is saying in my southern vernacular, now y'all, be sure to put all this into practice. Rejoicing, praying, and thanksgiving are all acts of the church in worship. Yes, we have come to rejoice. Yes, we have come to pray. Yes, we have come to give thanks. And practicing those things together should propel us, should propel you and me to live week by week with those attitudes dictating our hearts and our minds. So it is that Christianity reveals joyfulness emerges from outside of ourselves. It emerges through our daily worship of Jesus. If I am me-centered, I am bound to constantly see my problems. But if I am Christ-centered, I am free to continually see God's purposes, even in the difficult times. Which will you choose to see today? My hope this morning is to offer a roundabout reflection on how we can help to unleash a spirit of joyfulness in an increasingly joyless world. And I'll go ahead and give away the answer. Stop listening to our culture and start hearing from our Christ. We cannot allow ourselves to embrace harmful ideologies that set us up for a path to destruction, but we must let wisdom and peace to flood our souls. And for that to happen, Paul says we must allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through prophetic utterances. We had the Sharp family over for dinner the other night, and afterwards we somehow convinced them to join us in a silly, mindless game called What Do You Mean? Um, now, Balin is still learning to read, um, so she can't actually read the cards that you get. You get three cards in your hand, and she can't read the words on the cards. And so sometimes what Balin will do is she, she just throws her card out to match with the meme before the meme is even put up. Now, the amazing thing about these events as they unfolded is that Balin beat Mary Bell terribly. I mean, so it caused... Justin to say, I mean, maybe she's a prophet. Okay? And clearly we all know that Valen's laying down of a card before a meme is posted has nothing to do, well, we think, 
um, with, 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 with prophecy, okay? But we thought it was funny because I was going to be speaking about prophecy. And being able to foresee the future did at times characterize those who held the office of prophet in both the Old and New Testament. But the gift of prophecy has always been one more of proclaiming or forthtelling more so than predicting or foretelling. To avoid any confusion between the office and the gift of prophecy, we might best call its ministries today as prophetic without referring to anyone as being an actual prophet. The prophets, after all, spoke, and according to 2 Peter 1, verse 21, their words became the Word of God. That is not the type of prophetic utterances that Paul has in mind in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 20. Biblical truth is not progressive, meaning it does not change. And yet the prophetic gift still carries on as a human report of divine revelation. In Romans 12, verse 6, the Greek word for prophecy, according to Strong's Concordance, means divinely inspired. It's the gift that I refer to as the eyes of the church. I call it that because the spiritual gift of prophecy involves looking into a biblical text are looking in perhaps to a certain situation and seeing what the Lord has divinely inspired to be spoken into others' lives. Ray Steadman says, prophesying is the act of explaining the realities of life in the light of God's Word. I like that definition very much. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, Verse 3, such prophecy has a threefold function. One, to strengthen people in faith. Think about building a house on a solid foundation. Two, to encourage people in the faith. Think about bolstering a house in order to withstand the strong, damaging winds of life. Three, to comfort people in the faith. Think about the blessing of a house that welcomes the hurting and the lost. One way this prophetic gift is at work is through the faithfully preached word. Today, as we have said, when Stanley Baptist Church celebrates 116 years, I believe the Lord has blessed this fellowship the way that he has because Jesus Christ has been faithfully preached from this pulpit to strengthen, to encourage, to comfort. Prior to my coming, Steve Phillips faithfully preached Christ here for 17 years. Before him, Wendell Garrison for 27 years. That's, that's a long time for both of them. And I am honored to follow in their steps. 
The main point of the prophetic word is given in Revelation 19, verse 10. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I want to read that again. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, prophesying is to make Jesus known in people's lives. I believe that those with the prophetic gift are given to the church as preachers for two main reasons. Consider with me John the Baptist. In Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2, we read, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist proclaimed the Word of God in order to prepare people's hearts for the coming of salvation. He was not concerned with clever communication tactics. He was not concerned with illustration gimmicks. All John the Baptist wanted to do was present the truth clearly and directly so that people might hear and people might believe. Faithful preaching will clearly present the gospel, declaring that our hope is found by faith alone in Christ alone. Such clarity aligns also with the Apostle Paul as a preacher. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where he says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then in Matthew 14, 3-5, we read about John. Herod had arrested him and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother, Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people, for they considered John a prophet. John the Baptist proclaimed the word of God against the unrighteousness around him, regardless the cost of himself. Whenever John the Baptist saw what was true, he courageously spoke for that truth. Faithful preaching will courageously speak what is biblically right, even when the message is culturally unpopular. This type of courage aligns with what the Apostle Paul tells young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, repuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It is because of the clear and courageous message that preachers deliver that often they sometimes can feel like they're walking 
alone in a wilderness themselves. In fact, 65% of pastors report feelings of loneliness, of isolation. Because of the clear and courageous message that preachers are called to deliver, they will frequently come across as impassioned, intense, perhaps even intimidating with their loud opinions. Ultimately, a prophetic preacher must be careful not to let strong opinions, however. Our attempts at originality take precedence over the text he interprets. He must constantly bathe himself in prayer, lean upon the Holy Spirit for inspiration to impart words not but taught by human wisdom, but words given by the Holy Spirit. To be the eyes of the church means showing people what God's word reveals, not what the preacher feels. The late pastor W.A. Criswell said that individuals come into the church with the following mindset. We know what the editorials are saying. We know what the newspapers are saying. We know what the TV is saying. We want to know, does God have anything to say? And God most certainly has something to say. Indeed, that's why when our proclamation plumbs the depths of the human situation, when our proclamation presents the redemptive story of Jesus Christ with clarity, with courage, it will minister to both believers and unbelievers. Now, a principle of participation applies to the preached word for all of us. It applies in terms of how we receive it and how we apply it. Come into the sanctuary of God with humble hearts and minds open to receiving the truth. Come into worship expecting God to reveal himself to you in some way. And then if you pay heed to that preached word given on Sunday, if you don't quench the spirit or by despising prophetic utterances, then you will be equipped to share what you have learned with someone else on Monday. And guess what? That something you might share, that word you might give, could prove prophetic to them in some way. My primary spiritual gift is to provide eyes for the church. There are a few ways that I consider it to be the prominent gift of my life. One, I unapologetically view the Bible as the authority of all faith and life. Two, the Holy Spirit has equipped me to peer into the pages of Scripture and to hopefully explain those realities in light of God's Word. Three, I love to preach. In the words of Jeremiah 20, verse 9, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. I cannot hold it back. Four, I am comfortable in being alone. In fact, I often prefer it. Most people find that odd because I am loud, and I do have an opinion on most everything. <laughs> and I present those opinions in, women would say, probably intense, impassioned ways. But I, I want to 
say as well, and I think it's important that we understand, the continuation of the prophetic gift is not confined to preaching. A second way to find this prophetic gift at work is through a revelatory personal word. Referencing prophetic utterances in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 20, Paul continues by addressing not individuals, but the entire church. He never actually connects the gift of prophecy to the position of a preacher. The passage in Acts 21 verses 9 through 11 especially help us in identifying non-preachers possessing the gift of prophecy. I do not believe that Philip's four daughters in Acts 21.9 ever preached during times of worship. Nor do I believe that Agabus in verses 10 and 11 was some type of traveling preacher, but he too prophesied. You see, the Lord gave to each of them an eye to see into situations where they could share a timely, personal, Holy Spirit-inspired word. Being able to do that is why the Apostle Paul tells the church in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, to desire earnestly the spiritual gift of prophecy. And then he says in verse 31, it's a desirable gift because you can all prophesy so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Now, desiring that gift, however, does not mean that most Christians will regularly manifest it. Contextually, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5, Paul is merely saying how he would prefer that all believers have the gift of prophecy over the gift of tongues, or that which I would refer to as a private prayer language. And the reason why Paul says that is straightforward. The apostle explains in the entirety of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that prophecy is understandable to everyone and therefore beneficial to everyone. But you do not find the spiritual tongue listed among the speaking gifts that are said to build up and edify. Look again to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Have you ever had someone speak a timely, revelatory, personal word into your life? I have. Do you know someone who has a propensity to speak with such insightfulness into other person's lives? I do. I told you that this series was prompted by a conversation that I had with my good friend Beth Fitz. I think Brooke would tell you, and it's got to be one of her primary gifts. Beth has an innate ability to see a situation and speak a word of God into it. And for any counsel to be deemed as prophetic, Romans 12, verse 6 says it needs to be in proportion to our faith. In other words, it must agree with the revealed truths of Scripture. So Paul tells all Christians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, to test prophecies. How do we do that? How do we test 
prophecies. To begin with, we test the messenger and the message. Some of God's most severe warnings of judgment are reserved for those who say they speak for him, but they don't. Best then we all be careful in claiming a prophetic spiritual gift. A prime example of a false prophet is Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon religion. Initially, Joseph Smith secretly married multiple women, and eventually he claimed that he had a revelation from God as justification of his polygamy. Beyond that, Smith said God used a specific threat to his first wife, Emma. She would be destroyed if she did not accept these other women. His revelation was later added to be part of Mormon scriptures, later added to be part of Mormon scriptures. And it still exists in their inspired book called Doctrine and Covenants. It is not uncommon for false prophets to claim revelations that lead others into gross error. And there is no grosser error than those who 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 say present a false Christ and a false gospel. So J.C. Ryle correctly says, if we would hold fast that which is good, we must never tolerate or support any doctrine which is not pure doctrine or Christ gospel. He adds, we should hate erroneous doctrine. If men come among you who do not preach all the counsel of God, who do not preach of Christ, of sin, of holiness, of redemption, of regeneration, and do not preach all these things in a scriptural way, you must cease to hear them. Basically, anyone who says, thus saith the Lord, needs to be tested against what God has already said. And whenever those words do not measure up, do not receive them. But when they do, take them to heart. Apply them to your life. Second, Test the intent of the messenger and the message. Be wary of those who claim to know God's will for your life on secondary matters. Individuals who say, thus saith the Lord, on matters that the scripture neither explicitly advocates for nor speaks against. Be wary also of those who use a so-called prophetic word to be overly critical and judgmental. Those who do not speak in a scriptural way, those who, contrary to what 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, do not encourage, edify, and console, but humiliate, embarrass, and condemn. Receive the words found in John 3.17 from the one true prophet, Jesus Christ, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There is an old saying, the proof is in the pudding. 
But that is actually a shortened, corrupted version of the original phrase. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. This simply means that whenever someone says something about a pudding recipe, the real test of that pudding recipe is what it tastes like. Prophetic utterances are measured much the same way. The real biblical test for a word of prophecy is the fruit that it produces in its hearers. If it leads to the building up, the bolstering of, and the blessing of one's house of faith, then it came from God. I would make clear, however, that we cannot, we never will, live in peace if we are living in unconfessed sin. We must never receive a prophetic word as being ill-intended whenever it calls us to repentance and to renewal. Acts 3 verse 19 reads, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Catch that word. Times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Are the prophetic utterances someone speaks directing your heart and your mind to a deeper faith in Jesus Christ as Savior? Are the words that the individual is speaking cause you to a stronger commitment to obey Christ as Lord? Whenever the words that are spoken measure up to this test, hold fast to them. When they don't, run. Hold them off. As I try to come full circle to how I began this morning's message, I remind you that if we quench the Holy Spirit, if we despise prophetic utterances for the false promises of this world. Those promises of this world will only lead us down a path of joylessness. As an atheist in his unbelief, Voltaire wrote, I wish I had never been born. As a hedonist, Having given his life over to pleasure, Lord Byron wrote, The worm, the canker, the grief, they are all mine alone. As a millionaire, in spite of his great wealth, Jay Gould said as he died, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. As a conqueror, in spite of his military glory, Alexander the Great reportedly wept in his tent, for there were no more worlds to conquer. Where then can a person uncover the fullness of joy? The psalmist sings out in chapter 16, verse 11, You, God, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. Jesus says in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that joy may be full. 
And there's your answer, plain and simple. You will uncover the fullness of joy only in the presence of Jesus. It's always and only, always and only, always and only Christ. And Christ alone and always. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ as you prepare to leave out of this sanctuary today to face the week ahead of you, please do not quench the Holy Spirit, but receive this, my word of prophecy to you. Thus saith the Lord, rejoice, pray, be thankful. This is the will for you in Christ Jesus. To leave the sanctuary of God together, rejoicing, praying, and being thankful, no matter what the day may hold. Pray with me. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Speak to our hearts a word of joy. A word of knowing, Christ, that you have made a path unto joy and unto its fullness. Help us, I pray, Spirit of God, to walk in joy, to pray, to be thankful. For we have a Savior, one who came and took our place, took on our sin, gave to us his righteousness so that we might be in your presence, Lord, forevermore. Your presence Lord, oh, your presence, Holy Spirit, let it be mighty here among your people. We pray, Christ, in your name. Amen.